Welcome to the Physio Matters podcast. I'm Tom Jessen, and today I'm talking to Tina Price. Tina is a former teacher who now works in the disability and mental health field, and she has persistent sciatica, uh, which she blogs about at livingwellpain.net. Um, and uh, her experience and expertise um, are the reason we have her on the show today. Her blog really is uh, one of the most valuable and insightful resources uh, of information, not only about sciatica, uh, but also about pain and physiotherapy more generally. Uh, so, Tina, thank you so much for joining us on the show today uh, to share your sciatica journey. No, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. It's real. It's a real pleasure to be, to be involved. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm so like so happy because I've we've like talked quite a lot by email and over Twitter, but we've never really spoken properly. So this is like this is I'm very happy to finally talk to you as well. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. And you were very helpful to me. Do you remember that um, blog that I wrote about understanding sciatica? Mm-hmm, you were really mm-hmm. helpful to me with that. So so yeah, it's really yeah. good to talk yeah. with you. Yeah. So we'll f- finally. Sorry, yeah. go on. And you're, you're obviously the, the sciatica expert in the physiotherapy, <laughs> so it's extra good for me to talk to you about this. I'm certainly the most noisy person about sciatica on Twitter, so if that's the same thing, then I'm, I'm happy to accept that compliment. <laughs> so I think today um, we'll hopefully kind of go over your sciatica journey, which you've written about so well on your blog, um, and then use that as a bit of a framework to see if there's any, any other sort of topics that, that come out of that. Um, so is it okay if we just start at the beginning? Are you happy to tell us when this all started and, and what happened, Tina? Yeah, so um started 11 years ago, uh, which seems, a, seems like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> so um, it actually happened while um, um, at, at around the time that I was still teaching. So I was clearing out a, a Victorian house. I was doing lots of manual handling, um, probably being fairly daft in terms of the weights that, that I was lifting. Um, and basically, um, one Saturday morning, uh, woke up absolutely fine, uh, going out for coffee with my husband out to one of our local beauty spots. And when I was in the car, I could just feel a sort of niggling little pain in in my leg. But it was fine. And I just thought, "Mm, that's a little bit odd. Um, So we we carried on. Um, But by the time we came home round about lunchtime, it was a lot worse. So I just I could just tell that that I was in difficulty. I just knew I was in trouble. Um, by the end of that day, I basically couldn't walk, so I was, took myself to bed. On the Sunday, um, we called out a GP because I was in loads of pain. Um, he obviously thought that painkillers would, would do the trick, so I hoped that it would, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, by Monday, I think I phoned 111 and sort of confessed actually does it matter that I haven't um been able to pass urine for the for the last 24 hours mm-hmm. um thinking they say no it'll be fine but but they didn't they called out a paramedic um who then called out an ambulance um so I know now that mm-hmm. they were obviously concerned about corda equina but 
I didn't know that at the time. Mm. Um, and I was in hospital for the next five days. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say that it was the best hospital experience in the world mm. because mm -hmm. it wasn't at all. Um, but they they did do a, an MRI, um, and I, I hear a lot on Twitter about um, you shouldn't just take what MRIs say mm. and read from that, and I agree with that. So the MRI report came back and said no compression, um, which I found out later was an incorrect report mm. when another consultant looked at the MRI. Um, Based on that report, I was discharged, um, even though I could barely walk and I was still in heaps of pain after five days of being there. Um, but I was discharged without being seen by a doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so mm -hmm. nobody talked to me about what was wrong. I didn't mm -hmm. know what was wrong. And I was just cast, cast adrift, really, not mm -hmm. knowing what was going to happen um and not knowing what to expect really and and so do you remember at that time because you've written quite a lot now about in quite a lot of detail about the anatomy and physiology of nerve root pain do you remember at that time what sort of understanding did you have or what sort of picture did you have in your head of what was going on with your body did anyone sort of explain to you or no not at all basically so um Nope, I didn't have a clue. So I didn't, I, I just wasn't told. Um, mm -hmm. So I had no idea that I had any ridiculous type pain or anything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and even, even for the next two or three years, I wasn't, I wasn't told a lot about the neuropathic type of pain. Mm -hmm. um, it it was quite a while before I started to mm. understand that. Mm. So came yeah. a few years later, yeah. and and your pain sort of came on gradually down the back of your leg. Is that um, is that what you said? Sorry. So I I can remember. I have to tell you, I'm going back eleven it's years. A while ago now. Now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember feeling it in my leg, mm -hmm. and I can remember actually my my back was in a bad bad way. And I know when I was in um, accident and emergency, I can remember keep saying to them, actually, can you not just stop the cramps? Because if you stop okay. the cramps, then, you know, it, things would be a lot better. So all the neuropathic type pain that I was having mm. that time, I was interpreting it as some kind of cramps type mm. stuff. So I didn't know any different. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. I must have been having lots of leg pain, but mm. it wasn't because I didn't understand. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't really know. So what, without the kind of words and categories to put it in, cramps it sort of comes naturally to mind. Yeah. And the, it's funny you should say that because I'm, I don't have like a, a lot of. Um, well, I only started practicing a couple of years ago. And when I first did, um, I got quite confused by that word cramps because um, it's used quite often to sort of refer to or patients where I was practicing anywhere in the north of England kind of go for that word to yeah. mean 
um, I guess, extreme pain or pain yeah. that doesn't subside. I'm not quite sure exactly what's meant, probably like a variety of things. Um, but I always interpreted like sports cramps, like in muscles, like footballers get, which is obviously yeah. a, a specific and different thing. Um, yeah. So it's, it's interesting that you like at that time, you didn't really have the language or the framework mentally to, no, to understand that, these sensations. Exactly. And, and I don't think I'd had any neuropathic pain before. I mean, mm, I, mm. I probably did in terms of, I think, some tooth pain is probably neuropathic isn't it I don't know but yeah, anyway yeah I yeah it was just totally new to me mm, so mm. I was interpreting it in yeah. the framework that I had mm. and nobody nobody was sitting and talking to me certainly not while I was in hospital about mm. what was going on mm, mm. So yeah, it's just, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that's what I needed, and I think that's mm. what people with sciatica need. Mm -hmm. It's such a strange and powerful sensation that mm. they they need help to understand what's going on with their body. Because mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you just well, I didn't. I, mm. I guess some people do. And I don't. I think if you don't mind, I don't mind jumping around chronologically in the story. Yeah. Why don't we talk a bit about the neuropathic pain then? And um, when did that start to take shape in your mind? Because it's a it's a phrase you use quite liberally to to describe your pain. When did that become a meaningful way of understanding things for you? Um, probably four years in when mm -hmm. I started having physiotherapy with with Matlow. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I can't believe that nobody talked to me about it before. Um, but but my experience of healthcare up until that point was very medical model. So very um, medications, injections, um, bit, little bits of physiotherapy. But the physiotherapy, I don't think, was tailored to me and it wasn't tailored to neuropathic pain i don't think but i'm i'm not an expert so you know that, that's only my personal point of view um i didn't i didn't understand pain i just mm. it was all happening to me and i was getting on with my life the best that i could but until i started doing some work with matt low um i didn't have concept that it was much different mm. but actually to be honest in, in addition to that um it must have been it must have been around about the time that i was going to see matt low i can't remember if it was just before or just after i was on holiday in portugal once um and i got hold of my ipad and i was looking things up to try and see if i could understand what what was going on and I came across the Neuropathy Trust website. Um, and I don't think they exist anymore. But on their website, they had some patient stories. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I could identify what was going on with me mm -hmm. um, in terms of anything. Mm -hmm. It was mainly about diabetic neuropathy. Mm -hmm. But that was the first time that I started to identify with having neuropathic pain mm, mm. 
And what sort of things were you identifying with? Is, is it particular symptoms or the way it behaves? Um, so, so one of the, the interesting things I think about sciatica and the way it's talked about on Twitter and anything else, and I'm sure that I am guilty of this, <laughs> is that we talk about sciatic pain, mm-hmm. but actually that's not what it's all about. Yeah. So the, the other symptoms for me are, just as bad in many ways so the 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 numbness and Mm -hmm. the the sheer coldness that i can feel um they're they're all part and parcel of it Mm -hmm. um and i yeah so so there's certainly an element of of being able to identify with with that as well and there's the the whole thing isn't about the sciatic pain being much more electrical than um, what I call normal pain, but yeah. <laughs> that's not a technical. Yeah. Um, and it's it's interesting because even though it's my body, mm-hmm. I've needed to have other people to interpret what's going on in my body mm. for me and with me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I think it definitely makes sense. Yeah, the kind of the strange, um, strange symptoms that apparently come with sciatica, um, to my understanding as well, can be quite confusing. And um, maybe people sometimes don't mention them to their providers because um, the first question might be, "Well, how's the pain?" Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Or they might feel like. Um, they're they're not um, they're unrelated or sometimes people feel like they're going a bit crazy because of the those symptoms um, or they might be interpreted as going crazy yeah um, or not trusted um, but they are incredibly common I think yeah. um, and the, the other difficulty I find about neuropathic pain is that it's so inconsistent okay so um you can't so so when I've had shoulder problems and so on, mm. then I know if I lift my shoulder, if I lift my arm up, it's probably going to hurt. And mm-hmm. once it starts hurting, it's probably going to hurt for for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I can identify the triggers of it reasonably mm-hmm. easily, but with neuropathic pain, actually identifying what might cause it, I think is really difficult um especially to start with once you once you start to learn mm-hmm. and understand then then it gets slightly easier mm-hmm. it's the whole thing about wind up in neuropathic pain isn't it mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. nobody again until i saw matt nobody talked to me about neuropathic wind up pain mm. um, and i find that really difficult because it, it's hard to know what's causing or how you can change your life or mm. how you can manage the pain when you don't understand that about that time lag and so mm. if that makes any sense no it, it absolutely does and um i think um the i think maybe a, a lot of clinicians aren't it's difficult to say not aware of that that kind of pattern because but it, I think we're similar to to your experience, or I can only speak for myself. I, I, my experience has been similar to your experience in that 
um, until I started kind of reading, um, including reading things that you've written, things that gave me that framework of understanding. I, I didn't really kind of pick up on those trends and those things that, okay, people who have nerve pain do seem to have a harder time with um, pain than than others. There's a trend there that I'm, I kind of wasn't picking up on. And also they um, don't seem to have as much success with pacing um, than, than others. Um, so you, know, you can't just jump in the deep end and see what happens and maybe you'll be fine. Like, you know, if you've got a bit of a bad back, sometimes you can just go for it. Um, and, and it does take time to kind of fit those little pieces into a framework that that's helpful. Um, and I, I think neuropathic pain is certainly one way to understand that. Because uh, I know you, you've had a lot of trouble with, uh, maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but some trouble with the pacing advice as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. So, so the 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 general sort of pacing advice is is very much um, do a bit, take a break, do a bit, take a mm -hmm. break, and so on. And that that just doesn't work for me. So, what I need to do. So, so there are certain things that that I call triggers for my pain. And mm -hmm. again, I'm not using technical terms, but mm. that's what I call them. So I know that sitting down is a trigger. So if I go to a meeting, if I sit on a hard chair, that's a real trigger. Um, and I know that if I lift anything, then I can instantly get the numbness and the, the pain coming in. Um, and, and uh, coldness, um, and I'm not talking about being in a, a house that, that's cold or whatever, when I go on holiday mm. uh, in a hot country at night, I have to wear a bed sock because it's it's really peculiar, and that's the problem with neuropathic pain. Um, so what I have to do is sort of pace the triggers. So in a day, I try not to have too many triggers. Um, so I try not to so when i go to london and do some work then i'm sitting on a train then i'm sitting in meetings i'm sitting on a train coming home so i know that that evening i'll have trouble and in the middle of the night i'm likely to wake up with severe jolts of pain and so on mm. but that's different to just stopping um mm -hmm. and it's a as you say it's a bit different pacing is weird anyway because i think everyone has a different idea of what it is yeah um, and it depends who you talk to but it, it's different to often it, it's given as the idea of kind of measuring just generically how much you are going to do um and often that you should then pace up over time so that you can do more yeah and that, has that not been too successful for you that doesn't work at all. <laughs> no, no, it's yeah, no. That that just that that goes nowhere close. So mm -hmm. I o over time, I have been able to change some small things. So, for example, mm -hmm. um, to start with, I couldn't um, kneel down mm -hmm. um, without the the chances of of having severe pain. Um, so I've sort of been able to, over years, 
gradually improve that so I can kneel down and 50% of the time I'm okay and 50% of the time it'll jolt into severe pain and so on. But the, there's no being able to increase what I do on a general mm. sort of curve. It's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's all got a bit of a mind of its own, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, so you're... The, the, your experience um, and the way you're, you're talking about things is, is maybe a bit different to um, I, I'm a big fan of the NOI group um, so the kind of Laura Mosley um, the explain pain yeah. uh, um, movement for want of a better yeah. term but what you're describing is maybe a bit different to the way they they would describe things um, yeah so, so that's been, I mean, that, that's been a huge problem for me, um, mm. not, not that particular site or, or whatever. Um, but in terms of understanding pain, most of the websites, most of the videos aren't about neuropathic pain. And they're very much in terms of um, pain is a response to danger mm. and um, safety in me's and danger in me's and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Whereas when I've got neuropathic pain, mm -hmm. it's I don't, I don't feel as though there's any danger in in mm -hmm. me or mm -hmm. or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's it's more of an electrical sort of response. Mm -hmm. So so some of those explanations don't work very well for me, um, but the general understanding of the complexity of pain has worked wonders for me mm, mm. so that's been hugely valuable but not down in the black and white danger and all that sort sort of mm, thing mm -hmm. and was that sort of around the time you you were seeing matt uh, matt Lowe, former guest on the show um was that around the time you were seeing matt that you started to understand the, the complexity of things? Yeah. So um, first four years, so I had four sessions of physiotherapy, um, which were, I don't know whether you want me to tell you anything about those. Yeah, please do. Yeah, we can kind of track back, can't we, and then maybe catch up. Yeah. So, so going back to when I was in hospital then, so I was discharged from hospital, not knowing what was going to happen, apart from the fact that... Um, they, they'd referred me for physiotherapy. So I saw physiotherapists, I think it was about a week or so afterwards. Um, now, at that stage, I could still barely walk. Um, I couldn't sit down at all. So when I was got to the waiting room in the physiotherapy place, um, I had to ask to be allowed to lie on a bed because I couldn't sit in the waiting room. So... It's, it's all a picture of, actually, I was in a pretty bad way. Um, and I'm not sure that they really knew what to do with me, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair. Um, and, you know, to the, the, the lady who I saw was really nice. Um, she, I was given a bit of outdated advice in terms of, I ought to go out and buy, you know, the, the seats that you sit on that mm. are 
angled and use a cushion, um, a lumber roll and all that sort of stuff. So all the, can't think of the word of it now, which is disastrous for me, but but I believed it because I was, I was told it. Um, Sorry to interrupt, that made things a bit worse maybe? Um, it did eventually, I couldn't sit for quite a long time, but eventually, yeah, yeah it mm. would have made things worse. Mm, mm. Um, and then um, I was, I don't think she knew what to do with me, so mm. I was discharged from that to wait for an injection. There's a bit of a pattern for me being discharged to wait for an injection. And I keep thinking, looking back, I keep thinking, well, why didn't you keep me on your caseload? Mm. I mm. could have had an injection and I could have gone back to see you rather than mm. having to be re-referred and so on. Um, and again, looking back at that, I don't understand why I wasn't helped to walk again. So I was on my own account I taught myself to walk again, but I don't understand why that didn't happen. Um, then I was re-referred for physiotherapy, probably after the next injection. Um, and then I, that, that was very much about core exercises uh, and again, medication. I don't think core exercises were ever going to do anything for me because mm. I, was, I was still in too bad a way, really. It's, um, I needed to be helped to be more functional. Um, then I had surgery, back surgery, and that was um, 17 months after, which I think was far too long. Um, I think that should have, I should have been offered that far quicker, um, but I wasn't. Um, then I had another course of physiotherapy and they were concerned about me so they discharged me <laughs> oh, that makes sense yeah <laughs> well, it was just all the time that's, that happened to me until I got yeah. to my and then I had another session of um it, it was actually by a, an osteopath um but within an NHS hospital mm -hmm. and that was better in a way because he he did say to me actually um, have you thought about changing your career? Because mm. actually I was still trying to teach, but I was still in a pretty bad way. Mm -hmm. um, but no, none of them along those lines had taught me about my condition. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I've looked at the, the NICE guidelines and so on, and the, the current NICE guidelines talk about educating um and you know educating the patients about the sciatica and if i look back on i have a copy of the notes from a private physio and they ticked yes we've educated her yeah. and i look back and think no, <laughs> you didn't yeah. explain it to me mm -hmm. you, the, there's something about every person is different isn't it and needing different explanations for different people um and i didn't really get that mm. um but then then i did have matt um four years after um i was on a spinal cord stimulator pathway mm. which was i was on the spinal cord stimulator pathway for oh i think it must have been 18 months two years wow. um 
so while I was on it, I'd become very sensitive to opioids. Um, I think I'd collapsed and ended up in A&E after a little dose of morphine or something. So I just asked if physiotherapy might be able to help me so that I could sit down. Um, mm. But, yeah, he was just totally different. He took a totally, totally different approach, which worked really well for me. Mm -hmm. And I think, to be fair, would work well for anybody. Yeah. And I know that, from, from again, from your, from your blog, that um, he used, if, if we want to call it something, cognitive functional therapy. Yeah. Um, is it is it okay if just before we talk about that we talk about the, the functional aspect of things because yeah. I don't I don't want to go on too far without circling back and and talking about trying to work out well what maybe would have been better for you than mm. than what happened um, yeah. because and we should say that this is we can only talk about you personally of course yeah. um, and not what's best for everyone but you mentioned a few times. Um, learning to walk or being able to sit comfortably and um, so we can is it fair to say that the, the functional aspect of your problem wasn't really addressed yeah yeah that's totally right absolutely fair which uh, is strange because it feels like that should be bread and butter and I'm not I don't I'm really I don't want to sit here and hesitate uh, and I'm sorry I'm hesitating to sit here and criticize others and I think I could probably shine the light on myself as well which is I think when when I'm in, in clinic and someone I see someone who's in a great deal of pain, my natural instinct is to reduce the pain. Um, yeah. And probably the assumption is that they would want their pain reduced as well. Um, and, and I think I'd probably be guilty of focusing on that at the expense of function. So I could prob probably see myself as having made some of those mistakes as well. Um, do you think that's a fair way of putting it as against pain and function or am I on the wrong the wrong track? No, no I think you are and and I look back at, at what happened with me and, and compare it with stroke patients okay. so in terms of you know if you've had a stroke mm. then people will help you get back to life again won't they so they will physically help you mm. um to walk and to sit and all that sort of thing and in the community they'd take a look and occupational um, therapists might help to um, adapt your house or, or anything like that um, now I needed all that mm. um, but I I don't know that I knew I needed it at the time so okay. So I, I mean, I, you know, I'm a fairly get up and go person mm -hmm. and I just tried to do what I could myself, but I needed professional support. In terms of physiotherapists, when I look back, and I don't know, I, I haven't talked to them and I'd love to. Um, they might not want to talk to me, but I, <laughs> I might be very nice. Um, I, it, looking back, it felt as though I was being treated a bit like a back pain patient. Yeah. 
empathic pain patients. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that's because there aren't many neuropathic pain patients um, or training, or I don't know whether you have a view yeah. on it. I think there's a, there's a few things. And again, I don't want to fill this podcast with caveats, but my caveat would be in my limited experience in the north of England. And I know we have sort of international listeners and so on. But um, there's maybe a few reasons for that. And and one is that for, for understandable reasons, sciatica or radiculopathy is put under or bundled up alongside back pain as a condition because mm-hmm. it's kind of all to do with the back yeah. um, and the guidelines are in uh, the nice guidelines are for low back pain and sciatica as you know yeah. um, and there's not to my memory there's not too much distinction made within the guidelines um, I think another one is um, that a lot of sciatica is actually not that, not that bad and not that neuropathic Um so there's a continuum and some sort of lumbar sacral nerve roots can be kind of irritated and annoyed and pushed on and prodded and kind of cause sciatica. But if the extent of the kind of nerve damage isn't that bad or if certain things don't happen, you know, on a microscopic level, it doesn't necessarily have to be neuropathic and people often don't have the the electrical symptoms or the coldness. So I think as a physiotherapist, you can have a decent amount of success in treating sciatica patients um, as um, normal back pain patients Mm. Um, because a lot of times they do both have quite favorable sort of natural histories and things get better and sometimes people just need a bit of help along the way get things moving. Um, And I think one of the... And I think maybe, and again, I, I, I promise I'm speaking for myself and not criticizing others. Maybe we're not that sensitized to look for neuropathic symptoms. Um, there are neuropathic screening questionnaires, as you know, that um, I don't use them. I've never really got into the habit of it. Um, we don't see many other neuropathic conditions. Um maybe the odd sort of ulnar nerve entrapment or carpal tunnel syndrome is a a funny one because often that isn't that neuropathic really um so i think we're not really sensitized to look for those things when they come through our door um so we don't kind of have that on alert and and maybe don't think to do or say things differently um that's speculative answer yeah and I think looking looking back again, and it's easy, isn't it, in hindsight? But I I think there's something. So it's obviously we hear quite a lot on Twitter about the patient narrative mm-hmm. and the patients, who they are, um, and their, their their environment, social environments, and so on. And I I don't think that people took enough time to get to know me. Mm. Um, so. For example, the the rheumatologist that I saw six weeks after um, being in the hospital, um, 
I mean, he showed me the, the x-rays and said, oh, yeah, it's L5-S1 and it's penetrated mm -hmm. and you've got a bit fallen off. And I thought to mm -hmm. myself, oh, my goodness, is this bit floating <laughs> by my back? Yeah. But, but that's by, by the by. Um, and he, he said things to me like, look, if you don't go back to work, research says you'll never go back to work. Okay. Because for me, saying that to me was yeah. the wrong thing to do because actually what I probably needed to do was – not go back to work yeah. i wish reflecting back i wish i hadn't gone back so soon mm -hmm. um and then in terms of the physiotherapy doing the core exercises that that seems to be a routine sort of thing rather than looking at me as a person mm -hmm. and looking at what i needed mm -hmm. uh, if that makes any sense and I guess that's that's where Matt flipped it around in the end. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I, I don't know why. I don't know why that that happens really. But that that's that did happen for me. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I don't know why it happens either. It's a huge question, isn't it? Why do you know why does healthcare sometimes um, devolve into something that is routine? Um, yeah. But it sounds like. Matt, who I'm, who I'm sure will be very happy with his fourth name check of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> but I am really curious about um, it because what I'm getting from this conversation is, as someone who, you know, is, is still re relatively new to me, is that you've had a, a wonderful experience, you know, a great episode of Care with Matt. And are you able to sort of describe that to me in a bit more detail? So what was the first appointment like, for example? Um, so the first appointment was for an hour, which I think mm -hmm. helps. And then mm -hmm. subsequent appointments with Matt uh, for half an hour. So he was a, an extended scope practitioner when I first saw him. Um, he's obviously now an NHS cons consultant. And I think although I've described it as cognitive functional therapy, I don't mm -hmm. think he would actually I think he oh, okay. would say that there are elements of it yes. that what he does is what he does um yeah. so I don't think he's it wasn't straight cognitive mm. cognitive functional therapy but he um but so so first hour session I think was about getting to know me and doing all the examinations ruling out the red flags and all that that sort of stuff and then subsequent appointments i can remember um were it was something different every time so he taught me something new each time but built on what he taught me so for example um i should probably say to start with i've had two episodes of care with matt so i'm mm. talking about the first one four years after um so it might be that the first one um, was looking at um, sitting and helping me to understand that actually putting lumber rolls and sitting on these posh cushions and these posh office chairs might not work for me. And have you thought about trying soft cushions and trying out different things to find out what does work for you? Um, which is ridiculous, really, isn't it? Because you'd think I'd have done that, but I was 
I just did what I was told. Yeah. But there's this, sorry, again, there's this kind of theme for both of us, which is things aren't obvious until they're obvious. Yeah. Uh, so for me as well, so much of what you're saying, there's been this kind of moments where um, maybe we'll come back to the surgery later, for example. I didn't realize it until you wrote it. And I was, I thought, well, that, of course, that's obvious. But I, I, it never, I never recognized it until people show you things. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's strange, isn't it? Mm. And, and Matt's very clever, so he observes me mm-hmm. and then reflects back to me what I'm doing or sometimes what I'm thinking so okay. that it's, I start to recognise what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know whether that, that makes any sense, but I think that's quite a skill, really, to be able to reflect back and make that person understand. Um, But he he didn't do core exercises. I think he had the benefit of knowing that actually they didn't work. Yeah, Um, yeah. But but anyway, he didn't go down that line. But he, he looked at what was important to me as well. So I'd said to, I know I'd said to another um, physiotherapist, because it happens to be on my notes, I was really concerned I was lopsided. So I was favoring my left side because it's my right side that, that's wrong. And I was quite concerned that I would end up um, causing damage and so mm. on. So he he looked at all the function and helped me do things to correct things. Um and in between each session, he gave me bits to do. So um, when he started to explain the complexity of pain, he told me about the Explain Pain book. So I went and bought that and read that. It's quite tricky to read to start with. <laughs> it's not easy. Um, but it's that I... For me, there are so many parallels between physiotherapy and teaching. Yes. So if I was teaching a child Mm. or a young person, I would do exactly what Matt did. So I would work out where they were at, what needed to be done, and then work with that person to build on their knowledge and build on whatever it is that needs building on to move it on. Um. And I don't know why that hadn't happened before. So I look back to all the other physiotherapists and think, you're really nice people. I'm sure you have the skills to have done that. Mm. I don't understand why they didn't do that, why it was more automatic, this is what we're going to do, Mm. this is the sheet of exercises or whatever. I don't know whether I'm making any sense. No, it's it's perfect sense to me. And I think, um, yeah, I I certainly recognise what you're saying. And and I recognise things that I've done in what Matt's done and things that I've done in what the the therapists that you saw before have done as well. So I can see myself in both, certainly. Yeah. but but obviously some of the, the biggest breakthrough really was for me to understand the pain. Yeah. And once I started to understand that, well, A, I, I needed to understand the 
bits of physiology about it. So I needed to understand the bits about neuropathic pain and the fact, the fact it was electrical and so on. Mm. I also needed to understand the wider thing. So again, you know, I mean, how can it be a penny drop moment? But it, it was a penny drop moment when, mm. when I realized that if I was stressed, mm. I had more pain. Mm-hmm. This was four years after the accident. Yeah, why, yeah. Why hadn't I worked that out before? <laughs> but I needed somebody else to reflect that back to me, mm. for me to be able to understand it. Um, mm-hmm. Strange, isn't it? And, and did that come with, like, I'm asking you to recall things a long time ago. Was that through conversation or, or through the book? Um, through conversation really mm-hmm. um yep and i i guess there was quite a lot about validating mm. so um understanding the situation i was in mm. which which meant meant a lot mm-hmm. um, there were some bits that didn't work um so i okay. don't what i say <laughs> <laughs> um, he, he he did try to see if mindfulness would work with me, but mm. it doesn't. It's yeah, it yeah. with some people, and it doesn't work with others. Yeah. yeah, and that's the thing, really, isn't it? It's about finding what works for that particular person. Mm. Um, and and yeah, the that there's all sorts of things, aren't there? So there's there's all the stuff that we talk about on Twitter about good therapeutic alliance yeah yeah but it is key isn't it it's it's yeah it's probably been the key to most of the things we've talked about hasn't it yeah i wonder um if as you say that was a few years into your journey i wonder if um if that had happened earlier say immediately after leaving hospital or a few years later do you think it would have gone the same way so that the the reason i'm asking is is sometimes i hmm, very often when you hear of patients who have, have been on this journey and and then have a good experience and, and find that things begin to to click and they begin to make progress there's this kind of dark period where things go wrong and they try a lot of things that don't work very well Mm. does that period need to happen somewhat of of kind of finding trying the lumber rolls and finding out that it doesn't work this is sometimes a criticism that that is is mentioned not not for me and again i think everybody's Mm. different aren't they Mm. so um i don't i'm not sure about if I'd had Matt the week after I'd come out mm-hmm. of the hospital, that, that mm-hmm. probably was, was too soon. But within the first six weeks, mm-hmm. um, I, the, lots of people talk about the pain cave, don't they? So lots of people mm-hmm. say that um, a lot of people go through the depression and everything else, which... Thankfully, I've never done, so I call it I've danced at the pain cave door, so I must have been pretty close at times, and I, you know, I did. Once Once I was told, basically, we can't fix you anymore, you're going to be mm-hmm. like this for life, that was hard, um, then 
you know, I thought, is this the life that I want to live? So, mm. so I went through that side, but I never, I was never depressed. Mm. Um, but no, I think I needed that from the, the start. And I needed, because I'd gone back to work, which was stupid and ridiculous. So I was, um, my, I was a school leader, so my office was actually a medical room. As it happened, it doubled okay. up as I was leading a unit. So I was holding staff meetings with various staff from, from the medical room bed with the morphine in the medical room cupboard. Oh, wow. You, that, you just think, I needed some support. I yeah, needed yeah. some advice, not mm -hmm, being mm -hmm. told, if you don't go back to work, you'll never go back to work. Sort mm -hmm. of. Um. So no, for me, yeah, yeah, I needed that to have happened earlier. Yeah, but I do know some people say that you know they they have to go through those those dark times. But I think the reason the reason I mentioned it I should, is because sometimes, so, so what you described to me is, I've had that kind of experience with um, patients where. We have this kind of great conversation and we feel on a, a good wavelength and they have you know we can help each other in different directions so i can help them see things that they've not seen and they can tell me what they need and but sometimes if uh, i feel like if someone's in a in that kind of really acute or subacute stage of their problem the thinking is more about I want the pain gone uh, and maybe then they're not it's more difficult to have a conversation more generally about you know this this predicament of life that they're in um and I think that just depends hugely on the person of course and and the relationship again <laughs> comes back to that doesn't it how much do they trust me to have that conversation with me yeah. um, but that was the reason I asked um, yeah but but it is, it, it is fairly personal, isn't it? But mm. I would have appreciated, if I could turn the clock back, I wish that somebody had told me early on, actually, mm. we may not be able to fix mm. this and actually we can get you functionally better and mm. we can teach you some pain management skills and we can teach you to understand it. That, that would have worked really well for me. Rather and that didn't happen until 17 months after your operation, is that right? Or um, so it was past that. So, um, so, so yeah, first 17 months was just medications, injections. Um, then I had the operation, which I was told had failed. And then a few months after that, my really nice rheumatologist, I've had two rheumatologists, second one was, was much better. Um, she basically said to me, you know, we can't do any more. That was that was hard. Mm, that, was, mm. that was difficult times, um, but I'd had no preparation for that really. Mm, mm. Um, but but That's yeah. a really difficult topic is, you know, when to say that, um, or or you don't even have to to open up the the possibility that you know because we see people who have persistent pain that's been going on for decades every every day as physiotherapists so we know we have the evidence in front of our eyes that not everybody gets better yeah. um and yet 
again speaking for myself i i would very rarely open up that conversation with someone um about you know maybe you have to consider the fact that this has been three months now and it's not getting better so we have to yeah i'd be very worried about that conversation i think okay but all i can say to you is that from my point of view i I think i think people should be braver i think Mm. I think they should just be straight and honest and then we can deal with it. Mm. Um, but it's very hard to deal with it when people mm-hmm. aren't telling you what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, and no, I completely agree. And after, again, I keep, I keep complimenting you, sorry, but after reading your post about this, I think I, I tried to do that more. Yeah. I, I realised I wasn't, I wasn't doing it. Yeah. Sorry, a, I'm not... A mixture of... <laughs> a mixture of um weird reasons probably most of all like it's just avoidance it's just you know maybe i didn't want to have that conversation with people yeah but it's but once you do realize once you once you do come to terms with it and you do understand it mm. and you're given a bit of professional help mm-hmm. then you can change your life around it mm. so you know once once i started to get some help and understanding then you know, I've made adaptations to my life and to my house, and um, I can't get rid of the pain. And I don't, I accept that. I'm never mm. going to get rid of the pain. I know mm. some people don't like me saying that, but never mind. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, you can, you can move on. But everybody is different, isn't it? And yeah. it's the, the other thing that I find quite interesting is that. A lot of talk is centered around patients that have gone into that depression and so on. Okay. But that's not the, I, th- I think it's actually less than 50% of people who go through that mm. phase. And I'm not sure that as much help is given to the people who do try to carry on working and mm-hmm. and are trying to, who, who don't get into that psychological um, difficulties in quite the same way. Mm. Um, I just think there needs to be a more awareness about that in a strange mm. sort of way. Mm. But, Almost maybe an over overcompensation sort of in our, in our efforts to understand the full picture. We've imagined everyone is kind of depressed and. It, yeah. Uh, that's how it comes across sometimes, mm. Mm. but. But yeah, but it's it's back to that patient narrative, isn't it? Yeah. To looking yeah. at that that patient in in there. Um, but going going back to to Matt after after that first episode of care with him, I was in a much better place to understand my body and to understand my condition and pain um, to go off and, you know, carry on living life. But the interesting thing is that over the following years, by the time you read all the stuff on the internet and you listen to what other people say about sciatica and pain and everything else, I found that I just got so confused. Mm. It just... I lost, I, I didn't lose all the understanding, but 
I became confused and less able to deal with my situation. Um, so I asked to be re referred back to Matt. So mm -hmm. that's when I had the second episode of care with him. That was ooh, 18 months ago. Um, and he'd moved on as well. So he'd learnt new stuff. He'd become an NHS consultant. And he'd got into um, the philosophy mm -hmm. um, with Ronnie Lil Andrew. Right. Um, and taught me a bit of that. Mm -hmm. And um, so, I mean, if anybody had ever told me that philosophy was <laughs> my life, I would just support that. Uh, don't yeah. think so. <laughs> but actually, having that understanding mixed in um, has helped enormously as well. Um, Do you mean the dispositionalism? Yeah. In particular? So, yeah. So, yeah, so that understanding, um, so it hasn't come out yet, but I've written a chapter for in the Cause Health Handbook all mm -hmm. about um, how the dispositionalism and, and causation can be useful to understanding pain. So mm -hmm. I found the vector diagrams very useful, so useful to be able to track um what I was trying to get better at mm -hmm. um, and improve in order to improve the whole picture of, of pain. But it also helped me to understand how all the different parts of me work together. So the, mm. the stress and the anxiety and the good bits, the resilience mm -hmm. and the genetics and the previous trauma and everything, the, the whole mix of me as a person and who I am and what I do mm, mm. that impacts on the pain that I feel mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but but I find it quite difficult in terms of neuropathic pain in in a way that this to me there's such a strong um physiological part of it yeah stem with the rest of it Yes. Yeah. Combining uh, is quite tricky. And and just just briefly, the the dispositionalism uh, you mentioned. Uh, I say the word like I know all about it, but <laughs> in fact, I know almost nothing. But there is. Um, we'll kind of link in the show notes. We can link to the the YouTube videos of the Cause Health Conference, which yeah. um, the the Physio Matters podcast team filmed, and we can link to Matt's paper um about it um but as a very brief and possibly wrong description it's a way of represent so often we kind of gesture don't we the complexity of pain oh it's all very complex but yeah. to, to me complexity doesn't really have a visual image to go along with it except maybe like a cloud of complexity but it's a way of um representing that complexity by saying that all the different factors that go into someone's pain. So you mentioned the, the physiological stuff and the stress and the um, beliefs and your, you know, your past experiences and so on. All those different things kind of can tug you in one of two directions. Um, and they kind of um, can pull your, your pain or your pain experience in a, a good way or a bad way. 
and some more strongly than others at different times. And then they kind of represent it in these arrows, don't they? Yes. Is that a decent stab at? Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) If the the listeners could see the look of scepticism on your face now. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's, I mean, I, I... I, I created a um, an analogy, so I created a, an analogy to do with a, a small holding commune about how all these different parts interact and can take, you know, a commune over into good health or poor health, and mm-hmm. and I visualise that in me. So there's there isn't one of those things. So if I improve my stress on its own that's not going to have a big impact on my health but if i improve stress and sleep and all all the rest of it um, and all the positive factors then i move into a sort of more healthy less uh, less pain environment mm. but i can't get rid of pain um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the to me that neuropathic pain driver is quite significant but I might be now digging myself a little hole in the sense that I'm not a scientist and I'm not a philosopher <laughs> I'm not a clinician but all I can say is that actually people should read um mm. Ronnie Lil Anjum's um work and Matt Lowe's work uh, and the cause health work and the cause health work handbook that's coming out because I found it really really useful to understand my pain and to then be able to better self-manage it mm. and that, and that's the point as well isn't it not just understanding pain you've got to understand it for a reason haven't you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've got to be able to then take that into self-managing it and i guess some physios do that so they they help the understanding and then they help that person to work out their body and their triggers and all that sort of stuff and help that person to work out how they can best self-manage their pain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Is there anything else in particular that, that you wanted to bring up, Tina, or should we should we leave it there for today? I can't think of anything mm. unless there's anything else from you. No, I think it's been absolutely great, and I'm really happy we got a chance to talk. Yeah. If we can do something the other way the other way around sometime, and you can interview me. Yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I promise not to give you a too hard a time. <laughs> no, I wouldn't. But, but yeah, that, that might be interesting, might not it? Yeah, I think so. But I'm really grateful. And, yeah, no, really interesting conversation. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Tina. I appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Take care. Bye-bye.